Hi, and welcome to the Rostrum Agency Managing Reputational Risk podcast with me, Grant Bather. In this series of podcasts, I'll be discussing crisis and reputation management from a public relations and media perspective. I'll take a look at the definition of a crisis, what it feels like to be engulfed in a media storm, the role of a crisis communications team, and what steps businesses and individuals can take to minimise media exposure around reputational risk. Each episode, I'll be joined by guests who will give their unique insight into managing reputational risk. I'll be joined by lawyers, analysts, marketing directors, in-house communications managers, agency communications managers, CEOs, founders, journalists, and more. And of course, I'll give my take from a PR perspective. During the discussions, we'll take a look at some examples of crisis communications management, both good and bad examining how organisations reacted to issues adversely impacting their reputation in the media spotlight. Having started my career as a journalist before becoming a company spokesperson and PR professional, I've seen all angles of a crisis, whether it is writing about a crisis, commenting on one as a company spokesperson, or helping to manage a negative reputational issue for clients. So join me and my guests as we delve into the issues that play into managing reputational risk. Well, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined on today's episode by Jacob Weiss and Andrew Devereaux. Jacob and Andrew are analysts at Helix International. So welcome, Jacob. Thank you. Happy to participate. And hi, Andrew. Hello there. Happy to be here. So to start, Jacob, the Oxford English Dictionary defines a crisis as a time of severe difficulty or danger, a time when a difficult decision must be made. The Journal of Management Studies states that a crisis is an organisationally based disaster which causes extensive damage or disruption and involves multiple stakeholders. How would you define a crisis? Well, Grant, uh, the definitions just given, though I think accurate, are vague. I think they are vague for a good reason, because a crisis can take many different forms. It can slowly build up or it can happen suddenly, almost out of the blue. Here at Helix, we break down crisis into four different risk components political, security, medical, and operational. It's rare that a crisis will just be purely political, purely security. Take COVID-19 on the surface, perhaps a health crisis, but also entails political, operational, and security risk factors. So I think a good definition would be any combination of risk factors that leads to severe disruption in in business operations. Personally, I think as a a crisis or negative reputational event, as anything that means you can't undertake your your day-to-day activity for a sustained period of time. Andrew, how would you define a crisis? Well, when it comes to defining crisis, I think both Jacob and yourself there, Grant, are completely spot on. When Jacob mentioned that the definitions can be sometimes quite vague, I think that is almost quite deliberate because there's so many different sources of crisis and so many different types of crisis that have to be managed. For instance, when talking about reputational risk, I think you're specifically talking about businesses and potential damage to reputation, potential impacts upon earnings and brand management and all the risks that are associated with that. So as Jacob said, here at Helix, we break down crisis management to political, operational, security and medical risks. So I think a crisis is basically anything which would have an impact on reputational, financial or potentially even something such as um, brand recognition. And as both you and Jacob mentioned, it's something that can be multifaceted difficult to predict and does have an impact on day-to-day operations. And on that 
day-to-day operations. Can you both tell me a little bit about your day-to-day role and and how you help organisations and individuals? Jacob, if I could start with you. Really, to answer this, I would have to give a brief definition of push and pull content. So uh, push content, sorry, is the content that I would write and send to our clients, almost independent of of their demands. You know, a kind of like nudge, okay, look here, you should should pay attention to this. Whereas pull content is where a client will come to me and say, oh, what's happening in, in this country. Uh, Give us some analysis here. So my day-to-day really is a combination of push and pull analysis through three main services, monitoring, report writing, and assisting the operational team. Very briefly, monitoring is researching in real time events as they happen minute by minute, day by day, 24-7, 365 days a year. Uh, We use open source information, closed source information. We have contacts on the ground in countries all over the world who feed us information. If an event were to occur that could lead to operational, political, medical, security risk factors, then I would write an alert in real time and then send it to our clients through our mobile application and our Sentinel online platform. We also geolocate our clients through our Sentinel tracker service. So then let's, for example, uh, imagine a severe event were to occur, let's say a tsunami or a hurricane. This alert we pushed to the client's within that geolocation. Um, And then we'd activate something called critical watch service where we bring up a two-way communication service between the client who's in the ground, who's at risk, as well as their risk manager and ourselves. So we could find, uh, try and find a solution. If the clients and the risk manager want us to step in, we can take it over. We can activate our assets on the ground and provide them with medical security, travel assistance reports immediately. That's monitoring, also report writing. This is similar to alerting, but longer term patterns. And the, the reports are generally at least a thousand words or more. And here, either I'm looking out for risks that could affect our clients or clients would come to me and say, Jacob, uh, what's going on in Bahrain? for example, because I am the Middle East and North Africa analyst. So this is the country, these are the kind of countries I look after. And then I would turn that analysis pretty quickly back to them. And finally is operational work. Our operational team runs ground support services, close protection services, threat and risk assessments, uh, site and project audits. And so if we have operational work in my region, the MENA region, I support the operational team with my analysis and my subject matter expertise. Got you. And that kind of mirrors similar to, to what I do as a PR professional looking at reputation management for clients. So we do things like media monitoring. So ensuring that we are up to date with any mentions of specific individuals or companies or competitors of clients so that we're aware of the conversations happening around those brands and around the industries that they're involved in. So we look at influencers that are talking about them and how those influencers are linked. We look at social media metrics and where the conversations are going. So Similar to you, from a PR perspective, we can go, you're involved in uh, this industry. This is what journalists and influencers are talking about. And these are the issues that you need to be aware of. So I think there are quite a quite a few similarities b- between what we do. Andrew, if I can turn to you. So you work specifically on, on the Americas. How does your role differ from, from that of Jacob? I guess some of the some of the risks are quite different. That's completely correct. Some of the ris- risks are rather different. As Jacob mentioned there, he specialises in the Middle East and North Africa. So obviously there you have some very different cultural and physical risks that probably aren't quite as apparent in North and uh, South America. But I think really because we both work in the Global Security Operations Centre, what we do on a to just just add to this, what we do on a day to day basis, I think, is providing that duty of care that I think 
is becoming increasingly important for so many businesses. I mean, I hate to bring it up again, but when risk comes up nowadays, the first thing everyone talks about is obviously the COVID-19 pandemic, because that has really changed how many businesses need to think about risk and crisis management in terms of making sure they have the correct and actionable practices in place so they can react proactively when there is one of these unprecedented risks. And as you were saying there, Grant, I think there is a definite relationship between what we do in terms of physical risk and what you guys do in terms of reputational risk. They're sort of almost, it's a hand in glove relationship because one will always impact the other. If you have a company who who are on, ongoing a task and there is perhaps some issue in terms of their physical risk, someone comes to harm or something like that, then obviously that then has a knock-on effect on their reputational risk. Got you. Um, might be a, a silly question, but, but some of the risks and, and threats posed, you can't plan for, prepare for, some just happen out of the blue so how do you help companies and and clients when these unforeseen events occur well those can be some of the uh some of the more difficult events to, to try and deal with as you say some events are entirely unprecedented i mean some you can almost build and manage a fairly comprehensive plan for something such as natural disasters in the caribbean you always have a bit of time while the storm is forming and we always encourage clients as well to have a plan in place in case a category three or above hurricane passes makes makes landfall over the caribbean because then you can start to action that plan you've got all of the perhaps potential evacuation measures and other and other considerations to take into place already set then you can just start putting those movements into motion. But for those unforeseen errors, say terror attack in a, in a public place, we always say that the best way to react to that is to have employees who are educated on the correct measures to take, mitigation measures such as just being aware of surroundings, being aware of where the closest exits are. We always say that they should just basically trust their instincts. And if anything feels untowards, getting out of that situation and if there is some sort of attack knowing what measures to put in place personal protective measures such as running out of the area or if that's not possible barricading themselves in in a certain location and then what to do after the after the attack such as making sure that they don't leave where they're where they're hiding until instructed to by the police and other factors like that so for those unprecedented threats threats and risks it's more about making sure have the knowledge and have the education that in case they're impacted by them they know what steps to take a question that comes to my mind is how do companies know to plan and and prepare for risk if they don't see one on the horizon i'm guessing for for some of your clients they are working in dangerous situations so they know that they always need to be on the lookout and thinking about reputations management and crisis support but for others it's it's not something that they really consider. So how do you become front of mind for those companies in just giving guidance and support and letting them know what you do? Yeah, I think that's a good question because businesses, they operate in intense competition with their competitors. So often they don't have the time to, to forecast and plan for contingencies and think about the risk factors. Listen, they're, they're often not security experts or medical experts. But what we try and do is, as a team of security uh, experts and medical experts, we take that off their hands. So let's say if a client is thinking about setting up business operations in a high-risk location, let's say Iraq, for example, then we could offer them crisis management, journey management plans, a whole range of consultancy services. So when they do actually go out to these countries, 
they know what they're getting into. And they also have the confidence in the back of their minds to know that if things were to go wrong, they can call us 24-7 and we can take it from there. How do you forecast what's going on in the region and kind of have those forecasts and, and predictions for, let's say, next you know, three, six months out? And, and further to that, how far in advance do your forecasts go? Here at Helix, we distinguish between threats and risk forecasting. So a threat is the actor who, who threatens the operations, for example, a disgruntled employee or a terrorist group, where the risk is the actual action itself. So it could be the risk of terrorism, the risk of protest activity, the risk of crime or operational risk, like uh, the risk to communication infrastructure, transport infrastructure. To forecast threat actors, we look into capability and intent. And then based on a balanced assessment of capability and intent of a specific actor, we can give a risk to operations uh, assessments. So for example, uh, militant groups in, in Egypt, let's say they have high, high intent to carry out attacks targeting certain foreign businesses. But let's say the cap capability is low because maybe the local security forces are very effective, or maybe these militant groups just don't have the operational capability. So uh, from balancing both their capability and intent, then we can talk about, okay, what's going to happen in the next in the coming weeks, coming months. Logically, the further you go, months, years, the less accurate your, your forecasting is going to be because more and more uh, factors are going to come into play. So generally, depending on the specific actor, the specific event, we'd give uh, an expiration date of our forecasts. Could be a week, could be a couple months, could be even longer than that. But it's something definitely, we, we wouldn't just give a forecast of uh, indefinite forecast. We would make it clear um, the, the expiration dates. And then for risks, um, let's talk about, okay, uh, the risk of an armed clash between supporters of rival groups in Lebanon. This happened uh, recently. So uh, here we look at the risk impacts of these clashes and their likelihood. So the impacts to a certain client, well, if a client was walking through a clash, it could be even life-threatening because these, these sometimes these groups are armed. So they could be hit by a stray bullet. But if a client is, is based in an area there's no precedent for these forms of clashes, then maybe the likelihood would be a bit you know lower. So again, it's balancing impacts and likelihood and then building from that, giving an as accurate as possible forecast. And Andrew, to turn to you, what are things that are on your watch list at the moment? As I always say, we sort of try and build out when looking at risk and threats, which is sort of, as Jacob said, what the impact and likelihood is. So for instance, we see a lot in terms of physical risk in the Americas and US and Canada specifically, things such as process activity are very high on uh, the agendas of businesses in terms of monitoring those protest actors, seeing what the driver for their for their protests are and could there be any knock-on effect on either civilians or businesses in the area i mean we we saw from the black lives matter protests in sort of mid 2020 how a protest movement can grow and how the sort of physical risk and incidental risk for, for those not even involved in the protest can rapidly increase and when we're talking about um reputational risk as well there's sort of numerous escalating risks when it comes to reputational risks as well because of the need to react to escalating risks. I mean, a huge one at the moment for many companies is the, is cybersecurity and the risk of ransomware attacks. There's been a huge increase in them in the last even 12 to 18 months as we're seeing some very sophisticated groups who are beginning to exploit numerous vulnerabilities and we're seeing them target 
some huge companies as well. No one is uh, sort of free from, from this escalating risk. And obviously that has some huge impact upon potential reputational risk as well. If a cyber criminal has managed to harvest customer data, obviously the reputational risk associated with that and potential loss of earnings is absolutely huge. And in terms of businesses as well, trying to make sure they're implementing good practices and transparency to sort of minimize the reputational risk they they could potentially be exposed to. Cybersecurity is one. Another one would be ensuring that they are being socially responsible and environmentally conscious, because those are things that are increasingly becoming important to to a client base. They want to see that businesses are reacting to the sort of changing world and are displaying that they're trying to cut down their carbon footprint, that they're giving back to the local communities. They're even something small, such as using less plastic in their in their services, then that's a huge thing as well. And more businesses in both North and South America are increasingly aware of those risks and building into their risk management portfolios. From what both of you have been saying, an awful lot of your time is on the planning and, and the monitoring and giving the advice and the guidance before an issue actually happens. And that's something that uh, at Rostrum that, that I do a lot of. So we, if we engage with a client, it's all about saying, these are the things happening during your industry. Horizon scanning, this is what's going on with competitors. This is what's going on with the regulator. So these are things that are likely to impact you or to be on your watch list over the next three to six months. And here are some things that you can do in the meantime, whether that be setting out their, their website so they've got a very short description of what they do and how they do it, or through to internal processes in the having the, the call log and the tree of of command and where to go so it sounds like back to my earlier point that there are a lot of similarities between what you do and and, and what we do here at rostrum i've got one final question for you both we would argue that every company now is is sort of global because of the internet and the clients you work with are across a lot of different industries but what general steps would you say to any company regardless of size if they want to minimize and mitigate risk. Jacob, if I could start with you, just some kind of key key takeaways for, for companies so they can look to reduce their, their risk. Sure, Grant. Well, the steps are always going to be specific to the business operations of the specific business in question. Also that, you know, the timings of, of their business operations, the staff involved, the risk environments of where these business operations are involved. So it is hard to give a very, you know, some general steps and tips. Uh, I would say if your company doesn't already have the resources to to analyze, forecast, plan for contingencies, doesn't have the relations with medical and security providers on the ground where they're working, uh, then they might want to start thinking about building that up for themselves or hiring someone who can do that for them. Immediately, of course, as Andrew stated, this is for duty of care, protecting your reputation as a company that cares about the welfare of its human assets and protecting themselves from potential litigation. But beyond that, it's also helping the competitivity of the business because yes, we're helping businesses keeping their staff and facilities safe, but we're also enabling them to operate in regions and areas where perhaps other businesses might not want to or might not be able to operate in due to their lack of capabilities. So yeah, it's just it's about having both the intelligence and operational capabilities to allow companies to operate very much at the deep end of their own risk appetites and parameters so they can keep their comfort they can keep their staff safe but also be more successful and compete better and anything to add there andrew 
when it comes to risk mitigation measures, is really down to the, the business themselves to know where these potential sources of risks are and where they could potentially be vulnerable or exposed. I mean, there's no standardised metric for sort of defining or measuring reputational risk or even physical risk. So it's really up to, to businesses to make sure they have the practices in place to ensure that they are mitigating risk in a way that is specific to their business their customers and their industry. I mean, just to give examples from from fairly recently about managing reputational risk, I mean, a very good example was when KFC in 2018 essentially ran out of chicken because they had the supply chain issues. And there they very quickly sort of went through prompt damage control and communicated incredibly effectively with its client base. They sort of went down the humility, humor and honesty path where they very quickly held their hands up in a very public apology campaign and said, look, this is on us. We're making progress. We're really sorry. And that was alongside uh, uh, one of their buckets with KFC rewritten as FCK. So they were sort of putting a bit of humor in there. And in the end, they didn't really have much of a reputational damage because they, they went down that path of holding their hands up because they had those mitigation measures in place to react effectively. At the moment, reputation reputational risk and incidents can travel at the speed of 280 characters and by the time that's happened it's very difficult to get get back so it's just really important to have those measures and actionable measures in place to try and be proactive in terms of any sort of risk so to make sure you're not then behind the curve and having to be reactionary but you're proactive you're ahead of the game and you're mitigating that that damage control through the most effective way possible. The KFC one was masterclass in, in how to respond in a way that matches with their company profile. Not every company in a crisis can turn to humour, but they certainly could. To your 3H approach, it's the, the 3R approach of regret, reason and remedy. We're really sorry that this happened. These are the reasons it happened. And this is what we're doing to ensure it never happens again. So it's about having those stats and case studies to back up what you're saying. So I think some fantastic examples to to bring an end to our discussions. Once again, I'd like to thank Jacob and Andrew from Helix. Helix provides clients with a proactive, customized approach to mitigating international risk, ensuring the security of their people and global resources. Helix works with organizations across the globe in sectors including corporate, government, NGO, and insurance. So once again, thank you very much and speak to you again soon. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you for listening to episode one of Managing Reputational Risk with me, Grant Bather. If you like this episode, please hit subscribe and leave a review. I'll be back soon with another episode and another set of guests to discuss issues around managing reputational risk. Until next time. This is a Rostrum Agency production, produced, mixed and edited by Rostrum. Rostrum is a full-service communications agency offering PR, content and influencer marketing, social media, training, design and much more. Rostrum is among the UK's top 5 B2B agencies and a PR Week top 100 agency, specialising in financial services, professional services, consumer and corporate campaigns, as well as crisis management, content marketing and social media. Rostrum creates campaigns and content to help clients punch above their weight. Rostrum measures everything it does, delivering exceptional value for clients' budgets. To find out more, search rostrum.agency.